I'm Sammy, and welcome to episode five of Dairy Free State, uh, where we talk about the intersection between food and health. And like I said, when we talk about health, we're talking about every aspect of health, not just nutrition, physical activity, but just every part of your body when you think of health. And that brings me to introducing our guest for today, Erin. Welcome, Erin. It's so good to have you here. Sammy, thank you so much. I'm really excited. I'm so excited. You just, you gave me so many teasers right before we started and I was just chomping at the bit. So um, to jump in, why don't you tell us a little bit about your diet and how long you've been eating that way and what got you to that point? What made you decide to eat that way? Sure. So I am vegan and gluten-free and uh, it has been a journey to say the least. Um, I You know, I was always the kid who ate lettuce and tomato on a hamburger bun. I never liked it. (laughs) I grew up in Virginia, you know, and where barbecues were everywhere. And that's kind of like what you did at pool parties and kind of the way you you ate, you know. And I, I just never got down with it back then. And of course, as like a little six year old me had no idea that my intuition was screaming at me that I should not be eating that. And that's why I didn't like it. Um, but as I got older, I had, uh, for as long as I can remember, it's true that I don't remember a time where I haven't had some form of chronic stomach quote unquote issues. Um, I remember, you know, being a teenager and falling to my knees in a parking lot, you know, with my boyfriend at the time, because I was having what I now understand the stomach spasms, like intestinal spasms Mm, happening so aggressively that like I keeled over and it's like my body folded in half into the fetal position um, because it was literally spasming so bad I couldn't stand upright. So that was an extreme, you know, warning sign of things to come for me. And of course, I had no idea what that meant at the time. Um, It was, I'm, I am almost 38. So back then, especially, you know, AOL was just the thing. The internet was slow (laughs) dial up. Like we didn't have all these amazing technologies and tools and publishing a book was incredibly difficult. There weren't all these resources out there like we are today. You know, uh, podcasts are so beautiful to even just even somebody hearing like, wait, I've also keeled over at one point. That's my, that's my intestinal, you know, that's my intestines spasming. Like, oh, I had no idea. I mean, even just that little tidbit of information can give, can take off years of the, the down the rabbit hole that Mm -hmm. I went through. Right. But you know, the short version is, is, um, by the time I was 23, I was literally hospitalized because I was in such debilitating pain on a daily basis and they couldn't figure out what it was. You know, I, I went to the doctor and I found out first and foremost, um, I went to a gastrointestinal, you know, specialist and he went behind me in, in the time, like, um, feeling my throat from behind. And this was something that, uh, you know, someone in his, his field that deals mainly with the stomach and the lower, lower regions of the body, it's quite rare to do. God God bless the universe and everyone who was looking out for me in that moment because he found that my thyroid was incredibly engorged and sent me right upstairs, you know, to the specialist in the complex. Um, I was living in San Diego, California at the time. 
and who I was quickly diagnosed with Hashimoto's disease, which if Mm. no one's familiar, it's actually way more common than it used to be back then. But Hashimoto's is a thyroid condition. You know, you have hypo and and hyper. And Hashimoto's is what's said to be like a genetic one where your thyroid engorges to like three to four to five, et cetera, sizes of normal. And the way it was explained to me at the time when they took my levels is I was borderline um, hypo, which means your thyroid is slowing down. You know, sometimes people find this out through weight gain, you know, because your metabolism's not moving as fast. And, um, my levels were right below, like, as in my thyroid was failing, but my body hadn't realized my thyroid was failing. So add that on top of, you know, the fact that I was having all these stomach issues that no one could get to the bottom of. Um, I started, you know, I started taking a pill every day for my Hashimoto's and wasn't really seeing a difference. And that led me into the world of alternate healing, alternate medicine. And I started seeing, you know, an Eastern doctor and an acupuncturist and meat is actually from her explanation to me, meat at the time in her lineage and how she was taught was incredibly important in the diet. And there was something in my gut that was just like, I can't do this. Like mm-hmm. I have to, something needs to change. Something needs to stop. And, you know, I, I just, unbeknownst to anybody just said, I'm not doing this anymore. I need to stop eating meat. It hurts my stomach. Every time I do, I I keel over. I'm in debilitating pain all the time. And the second I I stopped eating meat, my my life literally improved 70% overnight. Wow. And to be clear, I truly believe that everybody's bodies work differently and we are all Mm -hmm. built differently. And yes, I have a much more spiritual outtake on it now and a much more, you know, humane focused vision of that as I've grown. But I also believe that everybody's bodies work completely differently. And when I think back to that moment in my childhood, when I didn't want to eat any of that stuff anyways, but I did it because I was told I needed to, to get protein um, because that was the information perpetuated at the time. It's kind of one of those duh, you know, where you're like, hello, of course. Like I knew this when I was four. I knew this when I was six. I knew this when I was 12. Like I knew all of these things back then. I just didn't like it. It didn't make me feel good. I didn't enjoy it. Like I've never ordered a steak at a restaurant. Like it just, it wasn't my thing. And instead I was listening to what other people were telling me I quote unquote had to do to make my body healthy. And that was the first, that was one of the first leaps I took in my life towards, um, going my own way. Um, and, and that can translate into every avenue of my life, but that was one of the first steps where I gave myself licensing to follow my gut, to follow my intuition, and even realize that I had a gut or an intuition, which was also something that wasn't, I was 23, you know, that was like 20 years ago. I mean, I didn't have, I didn't, those vocabulary, the the words that we say now and the way that we talk about the stuff just wasn't even on the radar. And I was living in Southern California and it wasn't on the radar, you know? <laughs> so Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I told I know exactly what you mean. I mean, I had a lot of similar experiences to that growing up. I mean, I got I totally was getting sick from eating dairy mm-hmm. every time I ate it. Uh but I 
didn't really, I wasn't in tune with my body. And Mm -hmm. I, I actually, I wrote a little ebook a few months ago and I equated it to in the book, uh, not wearing glasses until I was seven, but clearly having bad eyesight. But Mm. I just did not know that people could see. I had no idea that people saw better than I saw. Mm. So I didn't squint. I didn't, you know, adjust at all. I just was like, how are people navigating? Like, I don't get it. And um, I, I totally feel like it was the same way with my, well, with my gut, right? (laughs) Where it's like, how are people not feeling uncomfortable after lunch? I don't, I don't get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And such a beautiful analogy, right? And that's, it's like, and that's the hard part about all this. Like, we don't know what we don't know. And the more that mediums, like this beautiful podcast that you're putting out, you know, your ebook, these things, the more that we can, people can tell their stories and have these dialogues, the more the light bulbs start to go on, right? Because you just kind yeah. of, you don't, it's like, what was one of the first documentaries that came out like fat, sick and nearly dead. Right. When he came out was juice fasting and literally thought he was going to die. It's because all of a sudden all those toxins are coming out of his body and into the system and he's trying to flush them out. And he's literally putting, you know, pounds and pounds of like toxins into his bloodstream, into his body and feels terrible. And that also happens to people who have never had like a banana in their life or these sort of things or foods with fiber in them. They're just used to eating a certain way. And and it breaks my heart to think that so many people don't don't even know how good your body can feel. Not to discount the fact that those of us who do eat really healthy and do do that do not have our own moments where we still feel terrible, where we do, you know, I, I tell people I'm vegan and gluten-free and they're like, God, you must be like 90 pounds. And I'm like, no, homie, like you could do some bad stuff to your body, vegan and gluten-free. Like just because sure. it sounds crunchy and granola does not mean that we all don't go off the deep end or eat too much sugar or like stuff our yeah. bodies with carbs or overeat or do any of these things, emotionally eat. Like we all have that journey regardless of of what we choose to do but the clearer we can get on like you said listening to our bodies at least we start to see those other areas in which we might be struggling or those other areas in which our emotions are fluctuating or society's stressing us out or you know anything especially internally that needs to be addressed comes to the surface because we start to clean up our insides, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, So I want to talk more about, yeah, I want to talk more about kind of cleaning yourself from the inside. Mm -hmm. Um, What what have you found helps you the most uh, when you kind of feel like you're, you're getting out of touch with yourself and your body? What kind of helps tune you back in and what kind of things you do? Uh, in order to achieve that? So for me, my my ability to tap into myself, mind, body, spirit is the most important. Um, but one of the things that I'm dabbling with, so I'm, I'm writing a book on Kundalini yoga right now. Um, and it is magic. If nobody knows about Kundalini, this, the reason why I'm writing about it, it is just one of these mediums that will literally change your life. And when I was studying in India, one of the things that 
I am even personally on the very precipice of my journey at the moment and, and struggling with, to be honest, is um, they talk a lot, especially in Kundalini, about the importance of fasting and the importance of fasting for your spiritual health, for your mental health, and the act of cleaning yourself that way to gain clarity, you know, in your mind. And this is something I'm, I'm starting to dabble in mainly because it's hard for me. It's very difficult. I have a huge mental block around the idea of fasting and not being nourished. And I know that a lot of that comes from the fact that I, you know, I was eating gluten for all these years, not realizing I was allergic to it. I was eating, you know, my mom's side of the family, my mom, her mom, like my mom, my mom's been passed away for almost 10 years now. And 20 years before that, she was diagnosed with being allergic to wheat, which at the time, let's be wow. honest, was celiac, right? And yeah. nobody knew. Um, and if they knew it wasn't mainstream enough that the doctors were like, oh yeah, let's test her for celiac. They just said, you're allergic to wheat. So my, my grandmother, her sister, my cousin, my aunt, like me, every, like in that whole lineage of the family all have celiac. And on my dad's side of the family, you know, I talked for a second about my first autoimmune diagnosis, um, which was, um, you know, Hashimoto's, which is a thyroid condition. My dad has it, his, his sister has it, his mom has it. So let's stop for a second and just acknowledge the fact that a lot of the stuff whether they believe it or not, is hereditary because there's no reason that on both sides of my family, everybody is automatically right. has it. That's um, not a coincidence, yeah. No, like the evidence, <laughs> at least in my family, everyone's got their own story, right? But at least in my family, I have pure evidence on both sides. And also both sides of my family have pretty extreme cases of arthritis. So mm, yeah. I've, got, I've got three. I technically am diagnosed with three autoimmune diseases. So for me without going full circle, you know, when it comes to autoimmune diseases, sugar really exacerbates that issue. Um, so I am pretty careful. Um, but I also go off the deep end, um, sometimes just like we all do, you know, I did grow up in the South where sweet tea had a full cup of sugar, um, (laughs) in it. And so my childhood was pretty packed. Like there was a legit time when I was in high school where I took animal crackers and like dipped them in icing after my field hockey practice, like as my oh. snack and or dinner. So alert. Like Dunkaroos, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this was before Dunkaroos. I like made my own Dunkaroos. I was yeah. ahead at the time. Who knew? <laughs> um, exactly. But like I was also allergic to dairy and gluten. So I'm basically like killing myself at the same time, right? And exacerbating yeah. both of those issues because it's only sugar. So I mean, it's it's one of those things that it's not a, a simple fix for me. You know, I'm I'm touching into the more I get in touch with my spirituality, and like I said, you know, I'm I'm almost 38. I was I finally realized that like this was a legit problem and took one step in the right direction when I was 23. So I've been on this road for a long time, and it took, you know, I went to when I moved to New York city from California, I started seeing this woman who's like an intuitive coach. She deals a lot with eating and she kind of acts like in a therapy capacity as well. Amazing, beautiful human being, happy to link her information for anyone. She lives on the West coast and sure, we'll put it in the description. Yeah. She's phenomenal. Um, I love Jen and Jen is the one that looked at me one day and was like, you got to stop eating gluten. 
I was like, what? She's like, you're allergic. Like, it doesn't work with your system. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Like, whatever. Not, And this was like before my grandmother officially got diagnosed with celiac and my aunt and everything else. And, you know, I finally bit the bullet and cut out gluten. And it's so interesting. I went to a networking event. This is how, this is how much we don't know what we don't know, right? I went to a networking event and, um, a couple of men that I had worked with in my industry came up to me and they were like, Oh, Aaron, you lost a lot of weight. I'm like, no, I haven't. I'm literally wearing the same dress I wore when I saw them a year ago. You know, they're like, <laughs> yeah, you look totally different. And I'm like, really? And I think about it and I look at myself and my face was so much more swollen because I was literally still eating dairy and gluten, still dabbling my toe in a little bit of seafood and stuff from here and there. I wasn't fully vegan yet. When I say I cut out meat, I grew up by the water. So cutting out fish or seafood was like a very big mental thing for me as well because it was so much a part of my childhood. It was very nourishing and there was something just different in the in the energy behind that for me. And yeah. You know, and then I realized like, oh, I've just, I was swollen and I had no idea because my body was rejecting and allergic to what I was eating and I literally had no clue. And, wow. you know, then a year or so later, I finally, you know, had the the bite and I finally cut out dairy, you know, at the same time. Um, and each of it's been an evolution. And I, and I say it because... To give you, I, I stress how old I am and when this started because it's happened little bit by little bit. And the hard thing is, is a lot of people think that, oh, I'm going to be vegan. You just cut out overnight and they go from eating meat, you know, every day and their body goes into shock and all these things happen. But it's it's also hard to get in tune with our bodies when we do things that drastically because we're changing everything yeah. at once. And then no wonder none of us know like what the root of half of our things are, right? Totally. Well, and I mean, you know, talking about how you've got, you know, more than one autoimmune condition to think about, and that's so common, you know, there's such that comorbidity that you see with autoimmune disease and chronic mm-hmm. health Good conditions. Good word, yeah. I like oh, it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and also, you know, there's like, and, and you also run into the issue of, there's so many conditions that have the same symptoms. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're like, well, is it this or is it this? And and it could, you could get interpreted differently depending on who it is you're talking to and mm-hmm. what diagnostics they run. So that can always be tricky too. And then, so then when you're looking at diets to follow, yeah, I mean, I think that the easiest and hardest thing to do uh in that regard is to listen to your body because mm-hmm. it's the easiest piece of advice you can get. Cause like you said, everybody's body is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody responds differently to different food. And that's, I've been working with a, an integrative health specialist. She's a nurse, nurse practitioner and she's been very encouraging in terms of, I'm really glad you're listening to your body and you're mm-hmm. responding to what you're eating and adjusting accordingly. But that's also so difficult. Cause like we were talking about before we started recording, we're not taught to listen to our body or tune in that way. And it, it's a whole new thing that we have to learn about ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, what you said is, is, is really important about the fact that they usually say if one person has an autoimmune disease, you usually have more than one. 
it's pretty common. It may not be diagnosed, but especially if you have one of the more prominent and or it's it's very uh, prominent and or severe in your body, the likelihood that you have a second is pretty strong. Um, and yeah. it's it's one of those things that, you know, autoimmune, just, it's like your body doesn't know what to do with it. So how do you start altering things um, internally? And I say internally because I, be- I believe mentally, right, spiritually, physically mm-hmm. as well in order to get yourself back in alignment. And for me, I'll go back to my original diagnosis. You know, when I, only, when I left California to move to New York, the only autoimmune disease I knew that I had was Hashimoto's. And I went to New York and just had this, like, no way about it. I, don't, I can't explain it. I was like, I'm not taking this medicine anymore. It's not doing anything, and I refuse to take a pill for the rest of my life. I didn't tell anyone because I think I intuitively knew that I would get aggressive backlash, <laughs> right? Because especially <laughs> at the time, people were like, what do you mean? You need this for survival. I mean, before that, I had – you know, one of the first things – I was married at the time. And one of the first things they told me was, you have a thyroid condition. The second you get pregnant, you need to come in because your thyroid is incredibly important for the health of carrying, you know, a baby full-term healthy. You know, it's very important in the beginning. Um, how it was described to me is like, you know, the first six to eight weeks, the baby, you know, you're, the baby's running off of your thyroid. So if yours is out of whack, like you can have a stronger chance of miscarriages. So of course, freak me out right, right away in that. And when I was there, I did end up having, you know, a miscarriage and I was so, worried that it had something to do with my thyroid or was it me or you know especially being as young as I was at the time I had no clue I was petrified and still not that the two are related you know I believe from a spiritual level that part of my life transpired and unfolded the way that it did but when I went when I moved away and went to New York I don't know, maybe it was the licensing that my doctor wasn't going to be around the corner and I didn't have to check in with him once a year. (laughs) But I was like, I'm not doing this. And not only am I not doing this, I'm not going to tell anyone because I know that I can heal myself with food and I know that I don't need this. Like I'm not, I don't need to take this. This isn't doing anything. It's just pumping my body with chemicals. I'm not going to do it. I'm not doing it. And I didn't. And I was too scared. I don't suggest this for anyone but as somebody who takes a more holistic approach, I know that one of my pitfalls is like I I have in the past not gone and gotten tested because I was nervous, right? Everyone's done sure. that, right? Yeah. Like you don't want it. Like Schrodinger's test results. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like I didn't um, – I just – I didn't want to know. Like I knew I was okay, but like there was a chance that somebody was going to tell me that what I did was wrong and not only what I did was wrong was like – detrimental or harming myself even further and like heaven forbid they told me I could never have kids or any of these things right we're running the negative loop that runs through your mind when you do start to tap into your intuition because there are all these other scientific studies and tests and things and the way that it's always been done that might be different than what your body is telling you um and I, I again say that because that's just licensing so that when you start to tap into it, you know, sometimes you might want to get quiet about it at first because your nervous system may not be at a place where you're capable of hearing all everybody else tell you what they think you should do. And 
I I went to the doctor and I got my levels tested and they were like, yeah, you're fine. So what, you got diagnosed with Hashimoto's? Like completely confused. And I was, <laughs> And it was still there, right, from the fact of my history, but dormant, so to speak. Um, not really yeah. because autoimmune diseases don't ever right, go away. But, you know, my levels were completely within normal and I, I haven't taken any medicine for it since. Wow. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's so much, there's so much that I've heard about, you know, like, yeah, the difference between getting diagnostic results and just kind of, um, well, I just, I just read Untamed. So now I'm like the knowing. Um, oh yeah. Fantastic. Glennon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, where, where you're just like, I mean, you know, that can apply to a, a lot of different things, but that's just how I'm thinking about it right now where you're like, I know that something's off. Or I know that something isn't quite right. Or I know that even though something might be off in the future, like I feel like I'm balanced right now. There's so much value in in tapping into that and becoming aware of that, that I, I think it's taken for granted a lot in traditional medicine. Mm. And I feel really lucky. And it, I, I'm guessing you feel the same way that that I've kind of started to hook up with people who just ask me questions like, well, how do you feel about it? Mm. <laughs> Which like, isn't oh. just lovely to have somebody ask yeah. you that in general. Like, how does this make you feel? Like, oh. It's, what a revolutionary concept. Right? Yeah, I mean, it was one of the first times in, in the last year, uh, it was one of the first times I had someone look at me and say, well, what do you think you have? Mm. And what do you think is going on? And God what do you it. think will help you? And I was like, oh, you want to know what I think? <laughs> okay. You know, I was like, this is great. So mm. um, that's been kind of my my guiding light for the last six months is, all right, well, I'm just going to see how I feel about this. I'm going to sit with it and see how I feel and take it from there. And now I'm working with someone who's like, I'm really glad that you're doing that. And um, I... I was recently diagnosed with SIBO, mm. uh, small intestinal bacterial, uh, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it sounds really wild, but, you know, it's just about bad bacteria in your mm. gut, like basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so um, depending on where you go, they've got like seven different recommended diets that you could follow mm -hmm. um, from like, you know, medical, medical journal recommendations and stuff. And each one of them has a different set of rules. So one will be like, honey is okay, but maple sugar is bad. And the other one's like, maple syrup is great, but honey is terrible. Uh, or, you know, you can have onion and garlic or you can't. You can have peanuts. You can't. So it's I so kind of confusing, had to, right? I know. I was like, well, I'm just going to start with this diet and see how I feel. And it was actually, I don't eat a lot of meat. I eat meat occasionally, very, mm -hmm. very rarely. And this was like a very meat heavy diet. Mm. And as soon as I started eating it, I was like, I feel lousy. Mm. And um, we, I just happened to have biometric screening like two weeks after I started that diet and my cholesterol shot way up mm. and I never have high cholesterol ever. <laughs> like my blood pressure is always low. My cholesterol is always low. And they were like, what happened? And I'm like, well, I'm eating a lot of meat and eggs and, nuts and stuff lately and they were like oh well maybe yeah that's gotta be what what it is you know so 
it'll probably go back to normal. And and I just, yeah, I felt sick and lousy. And then I switched to a different diet and I was like, uh, wow, I feel great. And I would, I could do this forever. And my, my specialist was like, oh, you should just, just keep doing that then. And it was, it was so cool to mm-hmm. have that direction come from the other way around. Like, well, if this feels good for you and it's working for you and you feel healthier and, you know, and your levels are good, you're, you know, we were, we were checking, like my iron levels were low, my B12 was low, my vitamin D was low. Everything went up with supplements and changing my diet. And she's like, we'll just keep on keeping on, you know, it's like, wow. It's so, I mean, it sounds so simple, but it, it is still kind of revolutionary right now. Yeah. And the important thing is, is working for you in the moment, right? And your body will begin to heal itself and it will, you're giving your body what it needs right now. And I think that that's another important thing to talk about too, is because, you know, with all the diets that are out there, people say, oh, you do keto, but keto is forever. It's like, well, okay, well, nobody is. So what, you go off keto and gain 30 pounds? Like, that's not realistic, you know, for anything, (laughs) you know, in life. Like, we change, we evolve, like, we become new versions of ourselves, not just physically, emotionally, spiritually, you know, geographically, like, things change all the time. And what what's working for you now it's first off i'm so grateful for your practitioner because that is revolutionary you know in my in my experience like and having lived in california and new york city right like i lived in san diego and and nyc and two of the places where you could find some of the best doctors in the u.s let alone the world right and i never and i sought out integrative health and people like that i've never once had anyone ask me the questions that you've talked about and or say, oh, well, that works for you. Great. Never. <laughs> Not once. Oh, man. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's really hard to find for sure. It took me about four years to, I mean, I started to find people who at least listened mm-hmm. and understood that there was something going on and believed that even if a test didn't tell them that something was wrong, that they believed that something was wrong without a test showing them that. Mm-hmm. But you know, um, they were the ones who kind of routed me to the people that I've been working with now more regularly. So I feel really grateful for that too, because they were the ones to start me down the road and say, well, I think you should talk to, you know, these types of physical therapists. You should go to this pain management doctor who believes in, uh, you know, getting you off of meds. Mm. And I believe you should work with this integrative specialist who, who will talk to you about your whole body. And I think these are the people who are really going to resonate with you. So, you know, go talk to them, go work with them. And I feel so fortunate that I had a primary care uh, practitioner who saw that and, and validated that experience and like led me down that road. Because if you don't meet someone like that, yeah, it could just, you might not ever find that. And that, that's so frustrating. Yeah. And, and even just to touch on for a moment, the mental component of that, right? Like if you're in pain, you're in chronic pain, your body is screaming at you that something's wrong. And you're, you're literally like a, a little, a little girl, right? With your hands in the air, turning blue in the face, being like, I'm going to hold my breath. No one, like people don't listen to me kind of thing, right? Like there's something happening and I don't know what it is. And no one's listening to you. It literally just exacerbates your issues. I mean, we've all had those moments where you've had stage fright, 
or butterflies or anything from an emotional component, you've dealt with extreme loss or even just been really freaking excited about something where your whole body reacts, right? Your stomach changes, your heart rate quickens, like your breath slows or increases. Like we've all experienced on both ends of the of the spectrum, the way that our body reacts to our emotional state and or how our environment is affecting our our mental health. And to have individuals not only validate that you are not crazy, (laughs) that there is something going wrong or on, I should say, maybe not wrong. There's something, there's a, there's a veer off in the course, right? That's not bringing you to your optimal health. Let's just put it that way. To have somebody validate that and not only validate that, say, I may not be the right person for you. How, how can I help you further your journey and let's get you healthy, right? Like that, even just for your mental health already sets you forth on the path of healing. Yeah, definitely. Just having someone say that they believe you is such a relief. And then you can kind of, that's over with, you can focus on other stuff. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you're just like, all right, good. All right. Well, so I know that you're with me. So now we're in this together. Mm. It's not me versus you or me trying to get you to my side. You're on my side. You're on my team. So now we can play this together. And, you know, it was It was also refreshing. I mean, this is something that I just value professionally as well. I really appreciate when someone says they don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think a lot of a lot of people in the corporate world and a lot of people in medicine are afraid to say that they don't know something, uh, even though it's just totally human to not know things. And I loved when my specialist and my primary care provider were like, well, I don't know what's happening. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that it's not happening. I just, and you might not ever have an answer, but Mm -hmm. we'll keep looking and, but it's not, it doesn't mean that I'm going to stop. It doesn't mean I'm going to stop looking and it doesn't mean that I don't believe you. I just don't know. Uh, But there's got to be something there. So that even that is like, okay, yeah, I don't necessarily have a solid answer, but at least I have a path and at least I have yeah, people on my team. And that's just so, that's so valuable. And like you said, like emotions can have such a physiological response Mm -hmm. and there's, there's so many connections there. And just to have a good team to emotionally connect with can really help get you over those humps when you're, when you get those hopeless feelings of, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna get to the other side of this. I'm never gonna figure out. It's like, okay, but all these people are in my corner. So it's going to be okay. It, you know, no matter what, it's going to be okay. Um, yeah. I mean, we're a tribal being, right? It's like why support groups work, <laughs> you know? I mean, for sure. maybe not for every situation, right? But when you find a tribe and you find people, you know, even us talking together who can relate, you know, like you, ha- you find people with commonalities, you find people with kind, generous, open hearts. I mean, it's, it's life-changing for sure. Um, and I am incredibly grateful for these individuals that you have on your corner because it gives me so much hope for the path ahead because that wasn't my experience and has not been my experience today. You know, I've just kind of gone rogue this whole time. Granted, I, it has brought me boundless amounts of knowledge. I have traveled the world and done all sorts of crazy cuckoo things to do this. I mean, I, I've done a lot of really 
you know, far out there stuff on this path of healing, but I've also found incredible transformation and I'm now able to have conversations, you know, with other individuals and kind of shine light on a lot of this. I mean, even the fact that, so I went to, um, I had another miscarriage about two years ago. And when I had that one, I had this intense feeling that the other two babies that I miscarried before were still like deeply rooted in my abdomen, like that trauma and everything that happened. Yeah. My, my mom had passed away right around that time. I had a miscarriage of twins. They were, my mom always said I was going to have twins, a boy and a girl. And I was pregnant with twins and they were due on her birthday or they were due like the day after her birthday, which means they could have been born on her birthday. Um, and then that happened. My marriage fell apart after that, like this incredible wow. traumatic, tumultuous time in my life, right? Like where it was not only physical, but emotional, like you know, geographical, that's what took me from leaving California to move to California when that, I mean, to New York when that decoupling happened. So when I had the miscarriage later, I literally felt all of that in my body. So it took me, it cracked me open in a way that I, I had not been cracked open before. Yeah. And um, I ended up, you know, at a recommendation of one of my closest friends, um, the first friend I had when I moved to New York City. Um, she's an amazing human being, which is also, I would love to link her stuff. She and I, through our sure, own path, yeah. have, have she now does like um, crystal singing bowls and sound healing and is dedicated, you know, through um, her company to bring this healing to corporate America, right? To bring these kind of alternate methods to heal people in another way. But she um, was like, I think you should talk to the shaman. I think you should go to Peru. I was just like, okay, whatever. And then it kept coming up and kept coming up. And finally, I just listened to the ping and, you know, said, okay, I, I guess I'm going to go. And her reasoning was, you've done a lot of this work. You know, you've, you've done things nutritionally, you know, you've, you've, you've gone to acupuncture, you've done a lot of the stuff, you know, on the surface level, but you haven't actually gotten into the subterranean with your body before, you know, you haven't really excavated from the depths, you know, that these medicines do. And I just, I trust her more than anything. And I, I trust my gut now, you know, more than anything in the world. And I just was like, okay, let's go. And when I went, I knew nothing about nothing. I, I mean, ayahuasca and Aya journeys and all of these things are like all the rage now. And like people are doing them in their basement and like LA and God knows what else, right? Like you can microdose all this stuff. It's like a whole different subculture that at the time I didn't even know what it was. And I went just on complete blind faith, as I tend to do often <laughs> in life, um, just knowing that it was the right decision, not knowing why. And I felt, you know, the cleansing and or all of that in my body in a way that I didn't even know was possible. And, you know, I, I showed up for my first meeting and they start telling us about our ayahuasca journey and they're like, yes, yeah, so you know, we're going to fast. Okay, great. You drink all this water. Okay, sure. No problem. They're like, and we're going to put these buckets in front of you. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like I literally didn't watch a single video, didn't read an article, knew nothing about nothing. And then they're like, and if you have to use the restroom and like they're saying all these things and I'm like, wait, what's about to happen? No clue. And, but when I, I, I mentioned that because of the fact that like that seems super crazy and psychedelic, even though there's all these researches, uh, you know, research happening right now on the benefits of this from people with chronic health issues. And it's not something that I am incredibly versed in, but 
the fact of the matter is, is like we had, I had it administered by, um, you know, a chief, you know, chief medicine man from the Shipibo tribe that literally came two and a half, three days out of the jungle to come and administer it for us. And his son, his first time leaving, you know, they had to walk like eight hours to get to like the next village kind of in the jungle thing. And for them, this is medicine. Like a baby has a toothache, they give them ayahuasca, right? Like you have a stomach ache, you get ayahuasca. Like it seems so far-fetched up until now in our society. And if you would have asked me, you know, as a 23-year-old, any of this to to do these sort of things, I would have thought you were batshit crazy. And <laughs> now having experienced it, I'm like, oh, I mean, even to the point where I ended up staying and doing combo on my own, and I'm not sure if anyone knows what that is, but it's this poisonous frog that they literally burn. Um, I have scars on my body from it. They burn you with part of the vine and they wait for um, – it's basically the equivalent of like a, what a cigarette, the size of a cigarette burn, right? They burn mm-hmm. you um, and put a couple of dots on you. And then as it starts to scab over, they remove it so that you literally have the raw nerve endings. And then they put the poison from the back of the frog on it. And you have somebody, you know, administering this. And it is a whole nother experience. I mean, the woman was like out of, she's like for first timers um, on a scale of one to 10, like you had a 10 plus. I'm like, yes, I did. Like, <laughs> purging things she's like that yellow stuff is bile that's in your stomach like she this is precancerous cells and you know she told me this story about this woman who was in the states and she works with a lot of people that will come down to peru specifically for extreme healing and this woman got diagnosed with two forms of cancer and in the states supposedly her doctors that this woman went to said you're terminal um we give you two to three months to live you can start chemo and stuff and it might prolong it, but it's going to be, it's so far along that it's going to be a very painful thing for you, you know, that so that you know. Yeah. And she kind of had this, again, I'm, I'm telling somebody else's story. So there are some, you know, variations because I obviously heard it secondhand um, from the minister of this medicine, but she said that the woman basically was like, look, I can either stay and they're telling me I'm going to die or and I can die in the States in pain and miserable, or I can go to Peru and take a chance and maybe I die there. And she made peace with either. And she went and, and lived with this, you know, shamanic woman that I was with and, you know, did a ceremony every other day um, for three weeks and she's cancer free. And three years later, living happy, healthy life. And there's a lot of that medicine, um, that that correlates to they talk about it um the individuals it's important to note that the individuals who administer that stuff at least that i was around and have sought out are people who dedicate their life to these plant-based medicines because they do believe their medicine right and they they believe in the lineage and they respect i mean they talk to grandmother ayahuasca they talk to grandfather wachuma and they speak to them and they like a living, breathing, angelic, you know, spirit that's here to help and heal. And they listen to it and they have dialogue with it. And it's the same thing with the combo or any of these. And, you know, when I was, like I said, when she looked at some of my stuff afterwards, she's like, yeah, that's that yellow stuff is bile in your liver. Like that's unprocessed anger and talking about going, fuck, like what? And I'm like, well, I don't really consider myself an angry person. 
that actually makes sense. Like, I don't, can't remember the last time I've gotten angry. And then you start to think about how that stuff manifests in your body. And it's like, well, no wonder if I have all this bile and unprocessed anger in my liver and in my intestines and stuff. No wonder I've been having stomach issues for so long. Right? Like, yeah. Um, what's the name of, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the book where, shoot, uh, where she connects, um, oh, Heal Your Body, Mm. Louise Hay, uh, where she talks about the emotional connections, uh, behind different physical conditions and, uh, the things that you might want to think about in terms of, oh, I've got this ailment, you know, here's some some things you might want to think about and some things you might want to say um, to work on resolving that within your body. Exactly. And that's why yeah. your first question is how I how I bring myself back. It's not like I eat a banana in the morning, you know, like I start to tap in. When I feel out of whack, um, because it happens often, um, as we all do, especially right now, time of huge transition, right? A time of huge uncertainty, global yeah global dis-ease, right, which will result in a lot of physical dis-ease as well, as we have already seen happen. And for for me, it's finding ways to tap back into it and to actively do stuff like that, you know, ideally every day to excavate, you know, that kind of those mental layers, because every time I do, I, I get a little bit healthier. Or it's even the fact that like, say you're an emotional eater, right? You have a really hard time. And I speak from experience, right? When I have a very tumultuous time happen, a lot of times I completely black out. And then it's like, I wake up three weeks later and my pants don't fit. And I'm like, I don't understand what happened. And I'm literally like blacked out. It's like a response to like create a, a sense of security, right? A sense of foundation in an unstable, um, environment. And, if I'm mean to myself, which also happens, right? And you get down on yourself and these sort of things and then you feel gross and like I was so good and I thought I was healing my condition, you know, like you're saying in your point, but now I don't and you start to go down that, like the more the more we can tap back into those emotions and not judge them and not only not judge them, but choose in that moment to give ourselves kindness and compassion like we would you know, if you were telling me the story and telling me that, that that happened to you, I would be doing nothing but sending you love and light, you know, like, oh, right. yes. How could that not happen to you? Of course you went through a tumultuous time. That makes total sense. Like, oh, like, how can I help you? How can I support you? How can I be here for you? Like you, you need some added support right now. Great. What do you need? But we never turn that inward towards ourselves. Right. Oh, Yeah. Why would we? <laughs> right. And it's the craziest thing. Like we, I mean, the, you've heard it time and time again, like the things that you say to yourself in your head, like you would never say to someone else. And like vibration equals matter. Like the words that we say out loud matter and the words we say internally to ourselves matter. And when we perpetuate this negative vibration, like in our bodies, like it's again, like no wonder that we feel sick. It's no wonder that we don't, we feel uncomfortable. And and food is a huge part of that because that's how we nourish our bodies. But it's not the only part, but it's, right. it's definitely a huge component to the equation that if we're, you know, one of the things that helps me when that happens is, especially if it's warm out, um, eating food that is alive, 
right? Yeah. Live food with nutrients, with fiber, with, you know, all the components. Sure, if people have to take supplements and stuff like that, everyone has their own degree on any of that. But like getting those vitamins and stuff from food that is alive helps me to feel alive when I'm in darkness. Yeah, that's that's so – I was going to talk to you more about, like, specific foods that you eat and what you connect with, and um, so you're kind of getting there a little bit. Mm-hmm. What kind of what kind of meals are, are your go-tos and that you feel make you feel your best? It all depends on – on the season and it all depends honestly on on my cycle i think that this is something that that women don't talk about a lot you know our our phases of the moon um and how our bodies differ than men in a lot of these ways and that's something that's just starting to come to the forefront that i'm incredibly interested at the moment and and experimenting as well you know that our, our bodies go through four separate cycles every month as women and I say as women, because you and I are both women, um, that it's, you know, men could essentially, you know, maybe eat the same thing every day. It's fine, right? But we we need different things. Like our bodies grow and shed and, you know, ovulate and all of these things. And there are some times in the month where, you know, I'm incredibly just craving nourishing carbohydrates and sweeter things. And sometimes like in this exact moment where all I wanted to eat today was anything that was fatty. I had no craving for anything sugar, had no craving, you know, I had some avocado and I had some hummus and, you know, there's still ways to get healthy forms of fat, obviously in our body. I'm not like chugging, you know, olive oil or anything like (laughs) that, which if that's what you want to do, that's your own prerogative. But, you know, it just depends on, on the time and honestly what's in season, you know, if, if I can buy stuff that is local, um, I always find that more nourishing. Not only am I, it feeds my soul because I'm supporting the local economy um, and local farmers who have dedicated their life to this, which just fuels my heart, um, especially now. It tastes better. It tastes a lot better. You know, I I have family. I grew up, um, my dad's sisters lived in Italy my entire life and they would come over and, and stay with us in the summers. And sometimes she would bring stuff with her. But, you know, I went to visit a couple of times when I was younger. And I grew up in a part of Virginia where my grandparents grew tomatoes. So I always had fresh grown tomatoes, like warm, fresh tomatoes in the summer. And it was just we had tomato sandwiches and it was where I just put salt on them and eat that for lunch. And it was I had a great day. And likewise, when I went to go visit them, um, you know, Italy has been on the forefront. The reason why their food is so amazing because everything's been biological or quote unquote organic for so long and they can't put half of the pesticides and GMOs and all the stuff that we do um, in it. And you eat a tomato out of my grandmother's homemade garden and or a tomato visiting my aunt in Italy, which has the best tomatoes in the world. And I just like can't buy them at the store normally because they don't taste, they don't taste good to me. They taste so different. Yeah. And they just don't have flavor. And it's not even because I'm not trying to eat my vegetables. Like, I just don't like it because it doesn't taste alive. It doesn't taste nourished. It doesn't taste, you know, fueled by the sun in the right season. It's the whole idea that, like, yeah, in tropical climates, bananas are abundant, right? They're an amazing source of potassium. They're an amazing source of fiber. They give you that quick hit of sugar. They help you when you're dehydrated. Like, yes, middle of the jungle, grab a banana, dope is all, get out. But in New York City in the middle of the winter, 
right? When it's negative right. <laughs> 15 with wind chill, you know, you're freezing your booty off, trekking through the snow to get to your corporate office where you're underneath, you know, blue light all day, staring at a blue light screen and you're like eating a banana. Your body's like, wait, what's happening? You know, so it's really, I believe, important to tune into your body even in those moments. And if you want to eat the same thing every day and that makes you happy, go for it. But if you're kind of feeling unsatiated, what if you just did a quick Google search of what is in season where you live? Like I love squashes and soups and stuff like that in the fall and in the winter. I crave it. I make them all the time. But it's because, you know, they're sweet and nourishing and, you know, bountiful and like all these delicious things. But like, there, if you've ever noticed, like all of the winter vegetables are a little bit sweet. It's because you don't have the berries and the bananas, right? And this right. stuff because it's not in season and it's not grown. So we're we're fulfilling that need in our taste buds and that need in our body through the food that's naturally grown. So right now, as it's getting warmer, like gosh, you know, I mean, I'm cucumbers taste amazing right now they're in season berries are starting to taste amazing you know like at least where i am in the world and really dipping into that you know i i believe in in organic produce and i believe in it for so many reasons um and even if you don't believe in it, it just tastes better right for sure yeah well, I'm, I'm, I love gardening and I didn't get to garden for a couple of years and I didn't really have the space for it. And I'm so excited because this year uh, I'm gardening again and I'm already excited like my, for my tomato plants, you know, for my peas and beans. I'm just like, uh, and there's just nothing, there's nothing that can beat that taste. No. And, and you get like, so let's be honest, like if you're eating celery and a bunch of lettuce and all this other stuff, like you can overeat, but you can only overeat so much because it is so much for your body to process and chew and whatever else. But you can have three bags of Skittles, you know, four things of chips and everything else and keep going. And yeah. it, and every now and then do it. If that's what makes you happy, it's fine. But even when we think about it logically, like I can manhandle some vegan chocolate chips right like I can eat the sure. whole bag heck yeah. yeah dip that in some form of like nut butter or something some tahini even mm, delicious all day every day but I can also eat the whole jar <laughs> let's be honest I'm not eating 16 plates of salad you know right. I'm not having like sure maybe we all go ham on some guacamole sometime and eat a lot of avocados or something like that but like we're not preparing cucumbers and carrots and you know, any of these, you know, beautiful greens and herbs and stuff like that in a plate and eating 16 plates of them. Like our body literally can't process it. And one of the things I've been doing recently, noticing, trying to give myself some grace around the fact that I am going through a huge life transition and I have a tendency to do that and black out and be mean to myself and all those sort of things. I'm like, okay, when I crave something, am I craving it because it's actually going to be good and satiating? Like even, even when you think about, this is what I mean about people having a misconception about vegans. Like you can get banana chips, right? So delicious, a little texture. Sometimes they're fried. Sometimes they're dehydrated. You can get some banana chips. They're crunchy. They're chewy. So good, right? Love it. But at the same time, when I think about like, "Mm, those banana chips would be really good. 
but I also have a banana on the counter and I'm like, meh, I don't want a banana. I'm like, mm, Aaron, there's your cue. You're not actually hungry. You're in, right. you're in emotional distress and craving the hit and or the numb that will happen when you eat the greasy, salty, sweet thing that is altered from its natural state. It's like, if you're hungry, eat the, eat the banana, eat four of them. Right. But like, if you have the choice between the banana and the banana chips and you, the thought of eating the banana is not okay. That's when it's like, okay, Aaron, maybe you should get out your journal. Right. Right. Maybe you should meditate. Maybe you should drink three glasses of water and like get to the root of what's actually happening because you don't actually want the chips. You're just trying to change the feeling that you're feeling inside to something else. Yeah, totally. Oh my gosh. Very familiar with that. (laughs) Yeah. And it seems like when you say it out loud, it seems like common sense. But when you are in distress and you are battling dis-ease and heaven forbid the world around you is in chaos, you black out and you don't realize it because you're just I mean, and, and goodness gracious, especially if you have kids at home and other things happening right now and you're trying to juggle like three separate jobs, you know, say you're trying to be a parent, you're trying to be a teacher, you're trying to be a wife, you're trying to be, you know, yourself, you know, you're trying to be an employee, like all of these things that you're trying to do all at once without a break at the moment. Like, how do you have the moment to even think about that? Like, wait, what do I actually need? Like, what does my body need? And it's a practice and it's something that literally I'm sure we will all struggle with in different ways for the entirety of our life, Um, which I say because it's important to acknowledge the fact that it is a process. I mean, especially when you look online and people look like, oh, they make all these raw food or vegan and they're like happy and healthy and live in bikinis on the beach and like, wouldn't that be nice? Like those people have their own internal struggles as well like yes they may look amazing in a bathing suit and god bless them for that and they may be fueling their body with healthy stuff but it doesn't mean that they don't have their own ups and downs their own struggles their own community their own familial interpersonal relationship dynamics like we all have something and you know it's uh, social media can be a really beautiful thing because people have an ability to be vulnerable and they have ability to share their story authentically and there's a lot of free information out there that can be of such great service and help i mean just like podcasts right and and then there's the ability to just scroll for something that looks good on paper that that doesn't dive into the depth of what each and every one of us as human beings are going through and or struggling with. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's really easy. I, I wrote a paper a while back on like the performative self and it was geared towards Instagram and like food, food photos, food porn specifically, you know, and it's, like, but, it's so funny, I, like who in the world coined like genius marketing props to whoever coined the term food porn, but it's so true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was like, I, I, I studied perfect looking food or what people, what did people classify as food porn? But, um, but tying it to that theory of, you know, how do we project our identity on social media? How do we project our identity online? And what parts do we show people? And what parts do we leave behind the curtain? Mm-hmm. And maybe sometimes we peek the curtain a little bit so people can see it, but generally it stays shut. And, and we all have like those different limits. But I do think that there is such a value in 
yeah, being open and being vulnerable and sharing what your story is, because if, if you're going to be performative, you can only connect with people so far. You're not really going to meet them where they are. So when it leads you empty as well, right? Because you're, yeah. get, you're, you're requesting validation for something that's inauthentic. And when you're requesting Definitely. validation for something that's inauthentic, you're always going to feel empty because people aren't like, I truly believe that most of us just want to be seen. But the, for sure. it's one of the scariest things, though, to put yourself out there and allow yourself to be seen because what if it isn't accepted? Yeah, totally. I Yeah, I mean, I think that was one of the reasons that I uh, hesitated doing this podcast for so long because I was like, do I really want to share that much about myself and share that much about other people? Uh, but the more I had conversations with people about it, I was like, oh, I think this is very important. So. I should probably do it. <laughs> yeah, because and, you give people licensing to do the same. I mean, maybe they yeah. don't want to do it in such a public arena, but maybe they'll finally have that conversation with a friend or they'll talk to their doctor in a different way. Or they'll say, oh, there's that book. I mean, we've already mentioned a couple of books here, right? Like there's, oh, I can do some research on my own. And you give them license to not only take back control of their their life, their health, right? But know that they're not alone and and feel a little bit more courageous in their, you know, attempt to step out of that veil and to step into into the spotlight. Yeah. Whatever. Right. And if you're just if you're just like, oh, my life is perfect all the time and yours not should true. be perfect like mine. It's like, how can they connect with <laughs> well, there's, there's nothing, f- there's nowhere to plug in. Well and there's a fine line too, right? Like there's a fine line for you for using social media um, as a way to share your story and or any form of any form of communication, I should say. We're saying social media, I think, especially because of the veil of perfection and because we're in quarantine. So Let's be yeah. honest. Most people aren't out. And That's pro- what we're looking at. Yeah, this is this is this is our reality at the moment, right? Like the most of the interactions are having online, dating or otherwise, and so there's a persona that that you're putting out there, but like, it's one of those things that it's it can be difficult for everybody to do. But the more vulnerable we get, the more it's one of the scariest things to put ourselves out there in that way, and. You know, there's that fine line between using it as a sounding board to vent and or a diary, right? Which in some ways, some people are incredibly articulate and that may resonate, but there's a difference between working through your thoughts and then there's a difference in sharing your story. And that's a very, very fine line, especially when you're committed to sharing your life as it is and yeah, it, in the moment, sure. like you're on your own healing journey. And there's a difference between saying this is what happened to me and here's how it is. And there's a difference in being like mother of the, F of the thing and this thing happened. I'm so frustrated and like venting. And it's a hard line because I don't think that most of us trying to walk the line of vulnerability want to share and want to be open and authentic, but also want to keep a little bit of privacy. And not just that, want to be able to work through things like on our own mental and spiritual journey as well, and then bring that knowledge to the forefront. And when you're in it and you're really committed to being on this path of healing in whatever vein you're committed to and or sharing it so others can heal, there's a there's a dip your toe in, dip your toe out kind of walk um, and dance that happens as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we did, like you said, we talked about some 
books and some resources. And I know you said that you've, you haven't uh, run into the same types of uh, support in the medical community. Mm. So I'm wondering what other resources you found helpful along the way. And, and I know we talked about uh, your travels as well, but maybe some of the things that people could do right now while they're, you know, inside their house and, you know, maybe doing what I'm doing, like YouTube deep dives of, yeah. of like, you know, of maybe uh, things that aren't as useful. Maybe we could find more useful things for people to watch. Sure. Yeah. I am. Um, well, on my website, I have um, underneath the community tab, I have a section called healers. We're not sponsored, not anything. Um, people that I highly recommend. Um, it's it's a it's not a huge list, you know. There's not like 87 people on there, but this is from my experience. Who I I deem these humans to be magic, right? And who have exponentially helped me on my way. And uh, a handful of them are in New York City, so that may not help everyone. Um, from my time there, and a couple in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, where I was before. But um, sharing those, happy to tell them I sent you. Um, love them all deeply. Um, I, I find a lot of solitude in, in books and in kind of my own research down the rabbit hole of those things. Um, it's when it comes to food, to, to be honest, the food porn thing that you're talking about has me as of late turning a little bit more away from that. Um, I still look for healthy recipes and stuff online, but I find myself following, since we're talking about social media, right, following less um, a lot of those things because the bulk of what I'm seeing, at least that's been predetermined by the algorithms, right? (laughs) Um, Most of them have to do with like how to, since I am vegan and gluten-free or I, I, I told you or alluded to the fact that I I do watch my sugar because of, and when I say I watch my sugar, I don't watch my sugar when it comes to fruits and vegetables or any of that. Like in my mind, God made this whole complete thing, right? Whether it's a banana or an apple or a grape or a piece of squash or whatever it is, and I'm not messing with it and I'm not counting it and I'm not like keeping, granted if I was having, you know, six pineapples in the middle of winter, we'd be having a problem. But like when it comes to that, that's not what I talk about sugar. I'm talking about more processed food or like too much honey or maple syrup or even monk fruit sweetener, that sort of thing. I pay attention to that. Um, Not necessarily from a whole food perspective. I'm a big believer that, and I know that when I eat a whole food plant-based diet, like the actual, you know, the actual entirety of this miraculous fruit or vegetable, I feel amazing. Um, but I, a lot of the things that I see in, in the feeds, um, are how to make like gluten-free, vegan, sugar-free brownies and this and that. And like, here's the sugar-free chocolate and girl, I love me some chocolate. That is like my Achilles heel. So yes, I fall prey to that all the time, probably more than I should. But I don't pay attention, unfortunately, as much because it feels super triggering to me because I'm like, mm-hmm. why? I mean, and I believe triggers and my my belief of triggers is when I get triggered, it is a part of my soul that's that's calling out to be healed. It has nothing to do with the other person. It has nothing to do with the energy that they're putting into the world. It's part of me that needs to deal with that version 
of myself and that portion of myself that I just haven't come to terms with yet. And, you know, the goal is eventually, you know, we all work through these things on, on a different level and then something that used to trigger you doesn't trigger you anymore. But then of course a new one comes up. Um, but right now, especially in quarantine, everyone's baking, everyone's doing, you know, there's a lot of like baked goods and sweets and this, and this is how you do this and what to make with your kids. And I've just had to block a lot of it out. So to be fair, to answer your question, um, I have some go-to cookbooks and some go-to things that I use and, or I, I cook intuitively the majority of the time. Um, like what does my body want? What does my body need right now? And I, I haven't been following as many people because it's just really triggering for me for whatever reason during this pandemic. I don't know if yeah, your experience I mean, is the same or not, but. Um, I mean, I think it's really important to be mindful of that. I, I, I experienced something kind of strange because I started eating. So I'm on a low FODMAP diet mm -hmm. and I started eating that way at the beginning of the year. So I went into the pandemic going, oh my God, I got to figure out how to eat this way while my delivery and, you know, food receiving options are limited. Mm -hmm. So uh, for me, it's been more about just trying to preserve and keep that going while still feeling like I can be creative. Mm -hmm. um, for me, baking is less about <laughs> even eating it and just the process. It's mm -hmm. very meditative for me and so I agree um, if I have somebody I'm single for the record so like and live alone so it's not as a you know but when I have other people to bake for it's like one of the best things in the world I agree with you totally yeah yeah I love doing that stuff so a lot of a lot of my focus has shifted to the food that I can make for other people mm, and that's beautiful um, and like deliver or you know and then what things I can still make that that exist within a low FODMAP diet um, so what are, what are some of your favorite things that you're doing right now? Uh, well, so right now I'm battling with a sourdough starter and, <laughs> uh, you're at war, like, every, <laughs> like everybody on the planet, I feel like, and yeast I is sold out everywhere, by the way. It's well, like, so I can't, yeah, I can't have, well, on a low FODMAP diet, you're not supposed to have yeast. You're only supposed to have sourdough. So I've been buying a lot of sourdough bread from a bakery locally that is real sourdough because there's a lot of fake sourdough yeah. out there is what I have learned. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I have done some reintroduction and I've eaten some junky stuff while we're on quarantine for sure. But, but for the most part, I mean, we've been, we've been eating at home most of the time. We haven't gotten that much, uh, meal delivery and I haven't eaten that much outside of the low FODMAP diet. So it's been pretty good. And I've actually tried to adhere to it so that, I feel like I have that normalcy while I'm here because I should be at the point where I'm reintroducing food and kind of testing things. But that just seemed really overwhelming to me. Mm -hmm. Like, like I'm dealing with enough. I can't think about my diet. I just want to keep doing the things that I know that work. So I'm staying within those parameters. But mm -hmm. um, I've had some people send me and well, one of the projects that I'm working on for the blog actually uh, is, and it's going to be, a, I think mostly a video series, um, is I've got all of these old recipes for my grandma mm. and old recipe. She had, she read cookbooks like novels. So she would sit in front of the TV and she would read cookbooks and make notes and annotate and be like, try this for whatever. And she would 
say how people liked it. She put stars and stickers all over her cookbooks. Oh my and... god, I do the same thing. I love <laughs> your so... grandmother. I do it every yeah. Sunday. I like take that out, read through, make notes, put tabs, and put. I have like a rating system of like whisks up to five whisks on how good the recipe uh, was or not. Oh my god, I'm loving it. Go. <laughs> Yeah, so she's got I've got a whole stack of her cookbooks plus um How one of lovely. I, yeah, uh and I'm a like I always say, you know, um I kind of come from a line of uh, on the other side of my family of hoarders. Uh and I and I say that with all seriousness like uh my dad's mom was definitely a hoarder and my dad is a pack rat and I say I'm a collector. So that's kind of how that has evolved over time you know I'm like well I'm very selective about the things that I that I collect but I collect a lot of those things mm -hmm. so I have a ton of books and a ton of cookbooks and really it's like I'm not a shoe person I'm not uh you know I don't know I'm not like a car person I'm not I there's a lot of things that I'm not really that into but books and comic books and cook basically any form of book I like so uh, I also go to, well, in the before times, uh, I would go to flea markets and buy old cookbooks. Mm -hmm. And the more writing in them, the better, because I like to see what somebody who owned it thought about it. And so one of the things I want to do, and um, I'm in a digital marketing, uh, like Slack community, mm -hmm. and some people there know about my food blog, and they know that I'm interested in all this stuff. And they were like, hey, there's an old recipes Reddit and mm -hmm. people just share all these cool old recipes. And the most popular thing people make there is this peanut butter bread. And everybody's obsessed with this peanut butter bread. And I was like, cool. I mean, spelt is one of the things that's supposed to be better for me to consume, especially if it's sourdough spelt. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of working on the sourdough starter. So this is the long story short. I'm working on the sourdough starter to to as a first step to recreate some of these old recipes and also recreate my grandma's recipes in a way I, I'm going to try to modernize them and also work them into my diet mm. um, and see how they translate and see if they work. And I think it'll be a fun experiment. Um, but that's kind of been, that's kind of been my food project uh, being under quarantine is how can I tap into these things that, keep swirling in my brain and keep coming back to me mm -hmm. um, while trying to keep the things that I've been doing. I, I've been really trying to keep on track with that. And I've got like a, a wellness journal, like a habit tracker and like little colored stickers I use to mark off, you know, did I do this thing today to take care of myself? Did I take supplements? Did I do yoga? Did I journal? You know, that's so um, lovely. Oh, thanks. So that's been kind of helping me keep on track, but I definitely, it's like you feel that pull of, you know, you get so overwhelmed with everything. It's so easy to slip back into that. So I, I, you know, it's good that you recognize that and kind of caught yourself mm. and we're like, okay, I can't country. look at this right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and it's true. Like it's like some, and it has nothing like food has been such a huge part of my life. You know, like it's, it's something that, you know, I mean, I've been on this journey for over 20 years where people are like, but I don't understand how do you get your protein? You know, like it's one of those <laughs> things that people don't ask me that anymore. And actually, I mean, I, I really do. I grew up in the South where like you feed people to show your love, like, and it is a very maternal thing in me have a lot of, you know, 
of a cancer north node maternal energy kind of thing where like that for me is big so i'm i'm with you on the idea of cooking for other people and that's like i love it it makes me so happy but it's how i show my love right i i also have a hard time doing that if i feel like i have to for people that i don't have i'm not in heart space connection with so there's another flip of the coin so that's important to bring up for anyone who might have never thought about that before you know there may be some moments where you cook and someone's like, this is the best thing I've ever had. And then you cook the meal for someone else and they're like, oh yeah, it was good. It's like, what energy did you put into it? Like what love, like how do you, how's your interpersonal relationship with that person? And, you know, there's a lot of that going on. And, you know, I, I just know that at the moment, like I need to step away from the mass feed of food porn. Um, but it doesn't mean that I, I mean, I have a couple of recipes of go-to things. Like I make my own sunflower seed butter and it's literally two ingredients and that's it. And it's the greatest sunflower seed butter like you'll ever eat. Like you don't need to spend twelve ninety nine on a can of organic sunflower seed butter when you can buy a packet of it at Trader Joe's for like $2.99. You know, yeah. and put in the food yeah, processor, and sure. you're good. Like so, even stuff like that. You know, like for my during quarantine for my best friend's birthday, I made her these like cupcakes, and they had they used avocado in the icing, and they were to die for. Like they were so amazing. It's probably the best cupcake I've ever had in my life, and it's on the thing too, and it's vegan and gluten free naturally, and it doesn't mean that I don't love all those decadent things, but you know, sometimes even just making the basics for yourself changes your life. I mean, yeah, I can, two of my favorite, um, I, I don't know if you've ever used the cookbook Thug Kitchen. It's no, but I am familiar with it. Yeah. It's amazing. Anything I've ever, I mean, plug hashtag not sponsored, right? Like anything I've ever made out of that cookbook has been phenomenal and not just like good, like legit, like, there's like a white bean balsamic rosemary dip that I, without a doubt, Ooh. make anytime that I have anyone over. And instead of, it's like a the same way you would make hummus, but it uses, um, instead of the oil, you just use, um, it uses obviously balsamic vinegar and, and like veggie stock. And it's to die for. Like it is crowd pleaser hit every single time. And I'll just make it and like keep it on tap or do some variation and that cookbook is amazing. And also, um, if you've ever – Sarah Wilson is someone who's very popular in Australia. Um, okay. She's like – she is she is the quote-unquote I quit sugar um, who cut sugar out of her diet. And I don't make a lot of the recipes. And she has, I think, three or four cookbooks. I think I have three of them. Um, I don't make a lot of them because a lot of them do have meats and sardines and stuff like that in it. Um, okay, yeah. But I very much – resonate with her philosophy and the way she goes about thinking about food um she she is a like zero waste kind of person like there there's jokes you know little quips if you actually read her cookbook like novels which i do right um where it talks (laughs) about you know how you know friends will be like oh she's the one who like takes the cuttings from the carrots you know from the dinner party when someone else was doing it to take home and like put in her stock or add garnish to this you know she's very much that type of person that believes in food as medicine and using all of it and zero waste and these sort of things. So I just, I really, whether or not I eat completely the way that she does, the way she thinks about food, I feel very aligned with. Um, and it makes my heart very happy to support her because, you know, even especially being on my own journey, 
autoimmune. I, you know, they say it's the same thing with, with tumors, you know, sugar is one of the things that fuels tumors. And I mean, I, like I said, I grew up in the South with sweet tea every day. Like I am predisposed to really love, um, sweet things for sure. And, you know, seeing how she uses them or just uses the natural sweetness and things is, is beautiful um, to me. And I have two of her cookbooks linked on my website and I'm trying to think there's two other I can recommend. Um, most people probably know about Chloe Casarelli now. Um, but when I was in New York, she was very under the radar still. She's probably the vegan chef. If you watch the today show that's on there, she's adorable. Um, the cutest thing you've ever seen. Um, just bright white light around her at all times. She just has that energy. Um, Mm -hmm. she owns, um, you know, some, or was the founder of, um, the Chloe's that were in New York city. There were this really turned into a really popular chain, um, chain, meaning there were a couple of them and she's not part of that coupling anymore. Not associated with that for reasons we don't need to discuss because they're not my reasons. Right. But, um, she has, she got famous originally because she won uh, cupcake wars back in the day when that was a thing, um, with a vegan cupcake. And I don't know what this girl does with her magic and her touch for baking. Um, but anything that I have ever made sweet wise, cake wise, that's, that's out of her book or off her website, that's vegan. I'm telling you, it is like raving fans from everyone. Like people will be like, this is a vegan cake. And they will just like go ham on it and the whole thing will be gone. And you're just like, how is that even possible? It's, she just has the touch, whatever the touch is for vegan baking. She has it and her stuff is delicious. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, my go-to is, um, and I talked about this on a previous episode is, uh, the vegan Omicron. Mm. That is my all time favorite vegan cookbook. Um, by Issa Chandra. She also which I don't know about that one. Mm. Oh my god, it's so good. It like so it's like the Necronomicon, mm. uh, like an Evil Dead, but for vegan food. <laughs> and, uh, Amazing. It's it's like it's what I cook out of when I know I'm going to run into people who are like, uh, like vegan or like vegetarian food. That's really not for me. Like I just don't think I. And I'm like, want to bet? And then <laughs> I serve them something out of there, and they're like, oh my god, this is amazing. I'm like, yeah on vegan omicron you should probably check it out so i love having those um those awesome resources first just to feed myself and also to you know break down that resistance that people tend to have around like vegetarian and vegan food in particular and dairy-free food too i mean i get that all the time if i tell someone first that i bake something it's dairy-free or vegan they're not going to eat it (laughs) Yeah, but if I just or they're like, how do you them? live without cheese? And you're like, oh, actually, well, yeah. It's I really mean, I tough. live in West. Yeah, I live in Wisconsin, so that's like every day. Yeah. <laughs> how do you survive? I don't get it. What do you eat? <laughs> you don't eat. You don't drink milk. You don't eat cheese. I'm like, no. yeah, but you just start cooking for people, like you said, right? And you start doing it, and especially when you're doing it first and foremost to feed and nourish yourself and then to feed and nourish other people. Like it comes through and it's just delicious, especially when you use local, you know, in season, you know, ingredients. Um, Anyone who's ever had issues with, with vegan stuff as well. I mean, I know the China study was a huge 
you know, documentary phenomenon for a couple of years there. And I think people have forgotten about it a little, but like any of the China study cookbooks are amazing. They're not the prettiest, um, meaning there's nothing flashy about it. It's like a legit old school cookbook, right? That doesn't have that many pictures and just a bunch of recipes. And we're, it's so interesting when I look at them now, I think, God, this is like every cookbook my mom ever had. There were no massive pictures. There was no food porn. You know, there was no specialized fonts and any of this stuff, but like everything that I've made out of those cookbooks are delicious, but you'd likely pick it up and not, not think it because our standards, especially with, you know, used to having things like Instagram and stuff where we were visual first, um, which is something to say about as we cook for ourselves, like the more that we can take the time to make it visually beautiful and appetizing first, right? The the more right. our body is also going to dive right into it. I mean, we're all guilty of probably at least one time a day, if not multiple times a day, just like shoving food in our mouth because we're running late or something's happening and we just need some satiation. But, you know, it's so interesting to me to look at a cookbook like that and think like, oh, I wonder how many people haven't tried this recipe or haven't picked this up because there is no food porn telling them how delicious it's going to be when they when they make it. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so I feel like we could talk for, like you said, two more hours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but any any um any closing things you want to recommend? Otherwise, um, tell us more about. Uh, what you're up to and where we can find you on the internet and what you're doing. And like I said, I'll provide all links to your website and all the things we talked about in the podcast description. Yeah, sure. So I am at the moment writing a book on Kundalini yoga. So that's due to be out in fall of 2021. So not quite there yet, but in the interim, <laughs> um, I, of course, before all the pandemic hit, I was very much in um, interpersonal connections, like retreats, kind of doing things that way. And now my platform has, of course, turned digital as many have. So I'm working on ways to take some of, of the sessions that would normally be done online. But in the interim, um, I'm still coaching one-on-one um, and coaching in groups. Um, I've had a lot of success with, you know, coaching people in partnership, which has been so cool for me, um, whether it's in partnership with a friendship, with business partnership, right, whether it's a relationship partnership and I use all of these many things that we've talked about today. You know, today we focused a lot on the food and how we feed ourselves, but you know, the whole mind, body, spirit is a huge component of it for me. I'm pretty versed in astrology and human design and, you know, Kundalini yoga and Pilates and all sorts of good juju like that. So I use a lot of that in my sessions, even astrogeography, um, which is something really, really cool about how your birth chart lines up with, um, the different places on the globe and the energies that you feel in different places. You know, I'm sure you've been to a place that just felt amazing in your soul and you have no idea why. And then you've been to other places where it just kind of gives you the heebie-jeebies or something doesn't feel right, or you're a little bit more angry there. There's a whole component of um, astrogeography or astrocartography like that. So I use all of those in my sessions with people, depending on what they would like to focus on. And a lot of times we just let the intuition guide, you know, just like before we started talking, it's like whatever is highest and best is, is my intention before I begin anything. And 
you know, pray that whatever needs to come through that's going to help the most people and going to resonate with whomever needs to hear it. Like that's what I'm, what I'm here to do. Awesome. Yeah. So my, my well, sites are pretty self-explanatory. It's um, Aaron Elizabeth Downing at Instagram, Aaron Elizabeth Downing, you know, dot com. Aaron Elizabeth Downing on Facebook. <laughs> like as long as you know my Great middle name, you're pretty good to go. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So I'll I'll share all of those links and all of those resources. And yeah, once again, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. And um, if anybody's interested in uh, more of what Erin's got going on, definitely check out her website and her social media channels. And thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Dairy Free State. And until next time, stay safe, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and I'll talk to you soon.